0: Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals, making the hardest job in the world just a little bit easier. I'm Hibi Youssef. There's a lot that needs to change.
1: I think the last stat that I saw on disengagement was more than 80% of people are disengaged at work. And so if we really start to dive into what is it about the status quo in work that keeps us there? It's the comfort, it's the thing that we know, it's what society told us to do, it's what we're supposed to do, right? All of these things that, again, are an illusion because they're man-made, all of these add to why work is so awful at the moment and why people are so disengaged. But it's also just removing the veil of work has
0: to be 180 degrees different from life because it doesn't need to be. Do you want to celebrate your employees and customers, but you're not quite sure where to start? Let me introduce you to Snappy. Whether you are handpicking a gift for a birthday, offering a collection of options for anniversaries, or looking for onboarding swag that's guaranteed to please, they've got you covered. Gifting doesn't have to be complicated or overwhelming. Choose Snappy for a gifting experience that's sure to delight every single time. Go to snappy.com I hated here to sign up for free and start gifting today. Leaders don't just appear. They're molded and developed. Stop losing great people to ineffective management and communication. PI Inspire supports the personalized development of leaders at every level. And when you have leaders throughout the business, everyone benefits. Welcome back to another episode of the I Hated Here podcast. I am super pumped about today's guest. She's a close friend and someone I've admired for so long, and she's about to be a published author. So I am so excited to have her here. Anessa, welcome. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I always love being on your pod. It's been a long time coming. We've done so many events together. Anessa's been at my live events, my virtual events, and now we're doing the podcast episodes. You've probably heard from her before. So you're in for a real treat. Between the two of us, I just feel like this episode is going to be full of a lot of real talk, some light hijinks, and maybe some cursing. Yeah, and a little maybe some hot takes. Maybe some hot takes, definitely. Well, that's perfect because the first question I love asking every guest is, what is your one HR hot take? Oh my gosh, my one HR hot take. You
1: know, okay, so here's my one HR hot take. I really don't like how... We manufacture this new year, new you strategic stuff in business and in HR every year. And it goes against our – this. and this is like what we'll talk about, I think, in a little bit too, but it goes against our humanity to start new things in winter, especially in the US, right? Like (laughs) we're not supposed to start new things in winter. We're supposed to start new things in spring when other things are blooming and starting again. And that's when our bodies naturally with the sun – are supposed to start new things. And so my hot take is we don't have to start everything over based off of a calendar that man invented. Like, So for me, it's like this is our time to really think, to dig deep, to rest, to recharge. And everyone's like, January 2nd, let's do this. And it's like, okay, hold on. Can you just pause? And I think we start to get into this mechanism of going to go. And it's not always
0: great. So that's my hot take. I have a love-hate relationship with New Year's resolutions, like the new year, new me thing. Because I'm honestly like, I know, I have read all the research about how hard it is for human beings to change. And I I don't want to say I don't believe in change. I think change is possible. I think people do amazing things like run marathons and beat addiction and do a lot of great and wonderful changes. I just think it's so hard. And winter is my least favorite time. So it's so hard and I'm miserable. So like there are the chances of me achieving anything.
1: <laughs> well, it's like, okay, seasonal depression is a real thing and it happens most in winter. And so like, why are we all like, yes, let's start something new and think we're gonna be on this like amazing foot. So I don't even do resolutions anymore. I didn't even do like the ins and outs. I think I put like one tiny, like three thing poster on LinkedIn about ins and outs. But the only thing I'm doing for this year is a word. My word
0: for 2024
1: is impact. And that's as far as I go
0: on New Year's resolutions. I love that. I don't have a word, but I came up with a motto this year. And my motto this year was more hangouts, less hangups. I love that. Because I get so hung up in like the things we do at work and I want to make change right away and then I get frustrated when I can't make the change. And so I'm trying to channel this thing where I lean on my community to like just get energy and inspiration and ideas from and that helps me let go of the things and the pressure i put on myself to change everything. Yeah. Yeah. But i like the word. I'm going to try the one word at some point. I don't know. I what normally my word am would be. not even like even a word person
1: when it comes to like a year a year word, but for whatever reason this one just like came to me in the shower, which is a when i do my best thinking probably Same. because i'm unplugged. <laughs> and i One day I was like, oh, I'm doing this thing, I'm doing this thing, I'm doing this thing, I'm thinking about the next year. And it just came to me, impact. And I was like,
0: oh, yeah, I like that. So that's what I'm going with. I love that. Well, I'm excited to dive into our convo today because I feel like you have so much to share. You've been a fractional chief people officer, let me get this right, 12 times?
1: Oh, yeah, probably a little more than that at this point, Um, but at least 12 times and have worked with over 100 and I think it's like over 120 at this point organizations around the world and 30-plus countries and um, have been fractional
0: for 10 and a half years. And it'll be 11 in July, which seems wild. Wow. I feel like every day I see a new person starting their fractional journey. So to hear that you've been doing it for over a decade, I'm there's probably so much shit you know about companies that was- and change and why work <laughs> needs to change that I just feel like I want to talk about that a lot today. Like you have worked with so many different companies for so long and you observed a lot. What are some things about work that you think really need to change?
1: So it is interesting because part of the reason I I wrote a book is because I kept seeing trends, right? Like there are trends that you there are trends that you can see over two organizations, let alone, you know, a hundred and There are some really glaring ones that not only I have directly witnessed and seen, but in talking with so many colleagues and people in our space, these are also trends that other people see. And so there was not a book out there talking about all these things and why all these trends that we see typically tend to be bad ones. And they go towards why work is so awful for so many people, right? And so there's a lot that needs to change. I think the last stat that I saw on disengagement was more than 80% of people are disengaged at work. That is the highest disengagement that we have seen in a really long time, maybe if ever. I mean, we, you know, we probably saw it years and years and years ago, but nobody polled everyone to say, do you feel disengaged? <laughs> um, but, you know, from when we started measuring employee disengagement, it's really high. And we're all looking around and going, Huh, why does work suck? And work sucks for a lot of reasons. There's a lot we need to change. But when I look across all of the trends that I've seen, I think about all of the organizations that that I worked with across PE, VC, angel-backed firms, public, private, nonprofit, just all across every industry. The one thing that really boils it, boils down to is when we keep the status quo in place, it makes work worse. Mm. And Even those people who are like, well, I like the status quo because I'm a white man or whatever, it actually doesn't work for you as well as you think it does. And so if we really start to dive into what is it about the status quo and work that keeps us there, it's the comfort, it's the thing that we know, it's what society told us to do, it's what we're supposed to do, right? All of these things that, again, are an illusion because they're man-made, All of these add to why work is so awful at the moment and why people are so disengaged. I mean, there's a reason, right, by the pod and your newsletter is called I Hate It Here because a lot of people hate work. So, you know, the one thing is keeping up the status quo is not going to help anyone. We really have to push against it. And we've got to start doing work completely differently and not like the future work because we've heard the future work for ten years, and not enough has changed. And I just roll my eyes every time someone says that. We need a complete dismantlement, like a complete shakeup. Like let's tear it down and start over. We need a revolution
0: of work. I absolutely agree. I'm so excited to read your book. But, oh, well, I've I've pre-read it. Sorry, <laughs> spoiler to everybody. A bit but I'm, of like, reader reader. Okay. I'm a bit of a reader. I've been a bit of a reader, but like. And y'all are going to be really excited to read this because it, it talks a lot about like what is maintaining the status quo look like. And I think like one of my favorite, t- I'm trying to take care of myself, my wellness and my well-being in 2024 to like the next level. So I've been making it a practice to go work out, go to the studio, like go to places that inspire me. And one of my favorite instructors recently said like, I know you're comfortable and comfortable is easy, but mm-hmm. I want you to try to push yourself a little further today and it's going to be hard. I think about that so much at work because you're right. There's so many comfortable things we do that are just like easy and we can do them and we don't have to question them. And so I want to know from you, like what's what's one or two things you think we've been maintaining the status quo on far too long? One of the things that is really important and it gets really kind of
1: glazed over a lot is compensation. Mm-hmm. Compensation really is the reason why we are all at work. Like, let's be <laughs> honest. Would yeah, and of, of, of art, right? No. <laughs> would any of us work if we didn't get paid? Maybe if we were independently wealthy, or you know, any we had these this other money supply. But we work to get money. That's what we do. That's why we work. And compensation in so many organizations gets pushed to the side. It gets sort of outsourced to these large firms, and you pay a ton of money for. It. And at the end, you're like, what did I get? And it's such an important thing. It literally is what puts food on the table for families. It's what puts people into different schools. It's what puts people into like summer programs for kids. It's literally what helps pay for some of the extra healthcare costs that are not covered even with insurance, right? It really is so important and it is glossed over so much. And what I have found to be surprising to me is that even in our industry, even in HR, even in people and talent, There are far, far too few compensation experts. There are a lot of HR and talent execs that try to do compensation, but they've never done it before. And it really is at a detriment to that organization because they're really trying at something that is so important for people, right? Like when we always say, and you know, we all really, there's not a lot of HR people who love to do payroll, but if we had to do payroll, what do we always say? You don't mess with people's money. You just don't.
0: And
1: rule number one, rule number one, do not mess with people's money. And you know, so if you're one of those people, we've all kind of been there, we've all had to do payroll here and there when we don't want to. It's definitely a finance function, but it's not messing with people's money. And it's so important. And when I talk about compensation, we have so much work to do just to get to equality in compensation, let alone equity in compensation. And there yeah. are far too few organizations ready to have the equity compensation conversation. And equality means just like actually giving people the same amount of money for the same job and not saying like, well, I knew Joe for five more years, so he's going to get more money than Sam because I don't know Sam as well. Or, say, you know, that's not equality. Equality is they have the same job title. They should be paid the same. That's what that is, Right. And even getting to that point is really tough for a lot of organizations. It takes time, it takes money, and there's a way to get after that and go about it that a lot of executives don't know how to do. The second thing with that is talking about equity, right? We talk about the compounding elements of, say, Wall Street, right? When you put a dollar into Wall Street and it compounds over years, it gets you exorbitantly amount more money seminary, whatever, than if you would wait 100 years and put a dollar in. It's the compounding effect that really makes it valuable. Well, it's that in reverse for those that aren't white and those that aren't men in compensation. And so if you think about that backwards, the negative compounding effect of a white man getting this salary 5K more a year for 20 years Mm. is vast. And when you start to think about how much money is lost and how much inequity there is in compensation. That is one of the things that is so majorly important and is not talked about enough. And I think it's definitely one of those things where we find comfort in doing like the, you know, well, we're going to tie performance to compensation. And again, that is based on such a like subjective metric of one person's idea of what another person does in their job. And by the way, that person may have no idea what that person actually does on a day to day. They may have, you know, they might talk to them for two hours a week. They don't actually know how they're doing. And that person's livelihood is based off of that one person's idea of how they're doing. Like if you think about it from just that pure looking, boiling it down to such pure dynamics, that doesn't make any sense. But so many companies still continue to do it. And there are better ways to do compensation that are separated from performance. There are better ways to do compensation that are more equitable and more equity driven. And it's just not something that we hear about enough. And it's interesting because it is actually the longest chapter in the book on purpose because it is so important and there are so many complicated pieces to it and so many things that you need to think about. But that is one piece where if you can get that right and you can do it really well, people are going to be highly engaged. People are going to be loyal to you, and people are going to be like, "How can I grow my own career at the same company?" Because you are providing literally more livelihood for them to be able to do their role. The second thing I would say, like, what what can we, what should change and work, and what how can we push against the status quo? is being very transparent on where you are now and just having an idea of saying, you know, we're, we're pretty good here. We're pretty good here. But you know where we've got to do some work is in between. And yes, that takes vulnerability. And yes, that takes courage to be a leader and say, we don't have it all figured out. But no company, no leader has it all figured out. That's another thing that you learn across 100 plus organizations is every organization has their issues. There is not a perfect one out there. And its perfection is unattainable
0: in any form of a human dynamic. Work is no different. What do you think holds people back from saying? Because, like when I when I do interviews for the current company I work out with, we're a pre seed startup. I tr- I tell every candidate I talk to, like, hey, I just want to be honest about our environment. We're a pre-seed startup. It means we don't have a lot of resources. It means we're trying to build things while we're doing them. Like it's a great place to work. You're going to meet some of the most wonderful people you know. But if you are coming here to expect every process to be fully baked out and all the answers to be given to you, this might not be an environment for you. And a lot of candidates are like, wow, I never thought anyone would say this or admit this. And I just wrote about how like 40% of managers admit to lying in an interview. So what do you think is holding people back from being transparent and honest about what they are as an organization? I
1: think again it's going back to status quo. There's this like weird status quo mechanism with leadership that we're supposed to have it all together at all times. Like we're all robots. And we're not. Definitely not. We're not <laughs>
0: robots. Not. I we wish. are not <laughs>
1: robots. And we all would like working in a place where there were all robots. And so it's this weird dynamic where it's like the professional thing to do to not speak any any like even neutral, no negative thoughts about your employer. Well, from a, a candidate's perspective, if you just heard 100% perfect things about a place, I don't know about you, but I would be highly suspect about- I was going to say, they can snap the bullshit. Right. Yeah. Like what is happening and where are the holes? And now I'm going to like actually be- asking you more questions because I'm concerned you're out of touch with reality. And so for me, it's like those leaders that try to act all buttoned up and like they have it all together, they're actually doing a disservice to every other person according to them and every other person in the organization because they're holding a standard up that does not exist. They're holding a status quo up that does not exist. That makes people that are looking up towards them and using them as role models feel like they can never attain it. Which then becomes this like added mechanism. I don't really love imposter syndrome, but like it adds to that. It adds to the mechanism of like, well, I'm not perfect, so I can't do this. Newsflash no leader is per- perfect. No company is perfect. And so it's this like old school professionalism, status quo BS that is, oh, every leader has to have it buttoned up at every all the time. No, because they're not robots. And I think really great leaders are vulnerable and will say when they don't know things and will get help where they need, and they will encourage other people to do so on their teams. And what that does is there's another thing that I have on that on that piece, which really I've seen so much. When you have a bunch of button up leaders, it creates way more silence. So if you're ever in an organization where you're like, why is it so siloed? It's because those leaders don't feel comfortable to be vulnerable, so they don't collaborate. They want to hoard information. They want to act like they've got it all together, but they create these really high silos that no one can get through. When you have leaders who are vulnerable and open, collaborating and saying, I need help, it has this amazing effect across the organization where you're able to see more cohesive leadership and collaboration. And what that allows not only those other people working with you to do, it allows the people working with you and for you to say, Oh, I don't have to know it all. And I can go find someone who's an expert in my organization at this thing, seek their help, and they're going to do the same for me. And that creates these amazing bonds and partnerships in an organization that you would never
0: have with buttoned up leadership. I was just thinking I've never thought of silos, like the creation of them and how they happen in an environment, be due to like lack of vulnerability. I've never thought about it that way. So you just like added that idea in my head and now I'm probably going to think about it all day long because- you're so right. Like when you are afraid to collaborate, you're going to build up those walls. You're going to say like, I only have the answer. I'm not going to let anybody in. And that does really create a tough environment for even your team. Like your team wants to collaborate with other teams. When you feel so like pressured that. all the time. Yeah. Like, and your team feels so
1: much pressure to be perfect, which doesn't exist. So you are putting really hard, really unattainable mechanisms on top of your team. Whether you realize it or not, you're not you might not say you have to be perfect, but them seeing you try to be perfect isn't helping. It's doing the same thing. So it's that mechanism of like they're constantly under pressure. And what do we know about humans? None of us do our best work in that time. None of us do our best work when we feel pressured and we have to perform and we have to do this thing. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I have to if I mess this up, I'm screwed. Like none of us do our best work then. So it kind of gets into this fight, flight, and other mechanisms that we all do as humans. You have to pick one of those. And those types of fear-based, it's a fear-based thing because your your fear of failing is huge. It's still fear-based. So when someone is a buttoned-up leader, it's still fear-based
0: leadership. Well, I think the other part about being transparent is we live in such an age of like online times that I think a lot of leaders, like the amount of HR teams I've worked with that are afraid of things being leaked screenshots right. being taken of their Slack conversations, of the emails, like finding out, I've worked at two media companies. Like I know how you break, like I know how to get in touch with the journalist and break news, you know what I mean? So I think that's the other thing that's holding back a lot of leaders from being transparent. And there's been this like extra lens on HR, especially as in 2023, we went through all those layoffs where employees were like, we just saw the, I don't know if you saw that TikTok with a woman being laid yeah. off, Brittany, I can't remember her last name. And she recorded her whole layoff and everyone on the internet is now talking about why her HR team couldn't have been honest with her about actually why she was being laid off. Right, And I think it all comes back to this lack of transparency and they're trying to maintain an image of something that isn't reality.
1: It's trying to hold up this veneer. And I don't know if you know, like, I don't know if you've seen movies, but I just imagine this Fabergé egg, right? Like where it's like Mm. this really pretty exterior but like what's on the inside we don't know right like and i feel like it's trying to hold up this very fragile very beautiful veneer to protect whatever's on the inside and what's on the inside could just be nothing or it could be less attractive like whatever that is to me it's that faberge egg because it is so fragile and it takes so much thought to hold up that veneer that and 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 just thought, time, productivity. Imagine what people could actually do with that instead
0: if they weren't trying to hold up the veneer. The transparency piece is so interesting because I, as an HR person, probably default to transparency. I'm like, just tell them. Tell them how we came up with the idea for compensation. Tell them how we built performance reviews. Tell them what on, like just t- if you tell the employees more, I think you're just going to get better partners yes. from the employees and and they're your main stakeholder, right? Yeah. Like they're upset you're not doing your job well essentially did you know employee appreciation day is march 1st your employees may be wondering how you're going to appreciate them this year don't get caught without a plan you need snappy snappy is the gifting solution for employees customers and everyone in between The majority of companies are planning to celebrate their team, so don't miss out on showing your appreciation. Whether you have a specific gift in mind or prefer offering a curated collection for your recipients to choose from, Snappy has got you covered. Get started today at www.snappy.com slash I hate it here. The world of work has changed for good, but many HR performance management tools just don't cut it. Enabling performance in the modern world of work requires a modern approach, one that's agile and asynchronous, but still fosters connection and collaboration. Have you heard about PI Inspire? It was designed specifically for today's performance management challenges. It helps you gain a deep understanding about yourself and your team and share personalized insights to help you learn how to manage and develop each direct report. Meet people where they are and start developing new leaders at every level. Learn more about PI Inspire at www.predictiveindex.com. What advice do you have for HR people who maybe do default to transparency or want to, but they're working with leaders who are too afraid to do that?
1: So a lot of times what I will ask leaders that are afraid of transparency in exec meetings, one-to-one, whatever, is tell me your what are you afraid of? What's the thing that you are afraid is gonna happen? And when they verbalize it, And they walk through it with you. And then I say, okay, if that did happen, then what would the fallout be? And they walk through it with you. They realize it's not actually as bad as they think. Like, what actually would happen, worst case scenario? So I walk through that with them, and it's like, I hear your fear. Let's walk through it together. I'm here with you, okay? And if that happens, what will we do? Got it. We know that. So that's worst case scenario. Most of the time, it's not going to be that worst case scenario. It's going to be something different. So what I often ask is kind of once we've gone through that process and that those questions is I go, okay, step back with me a few few steps, two, three steps, and let's talk about what could happen if you do this. What could happen if you're transparent? What are the best outcomes? What are the best scenarios that could happen? And then when you juxtapose the best scenario with the worst case scenario, a lot of times, nine times out of 10, leaders will say, oh, wow, yeah, it's worth it's worth me being transparent to try to get to this best case scenario. Yeah. It is worth it. And it's that fear of just like, well, I'm holding it inside and do I feel the same way and does everyone else feel the same way? But if you verbalize it, it's also freeing. It takes a lot of brain capacity to hold up a veneer that doesn't exist. Same with our companies. We do the same as like leaders, right? How much more freeing would it be to just say, this is my fear. Let's walk through it together. And then let's also talk about what the best thing that could happen could be. And then we're all on the same page. We all know each other's fears. We've then bonded with other execs during this process to understand what motivates each other, even if we didn't know that before. And now we're in this spot where it's like, well, if it happens, we know how to take care of it we've got each other's back we we can do this yeah and it's just a really nice mechanism of walking through what
0: could happen and what could happen on like on both sides best and worst i do love best and worst i have also worked with leaders who are too afraid to tell me like don't even trust me to tell me their worst and i find those relationships they're really tricky to navigate so what Very if someone tricky. just won't won't tell you do you just keep keep not banging on the door those leaders are like, um, we're <laughs> like, will you please go to therapy?
1: Cause there's a lot <laughs> yes. of stuff you have to work out.
0: Yeah, um, you need to go talk to their therapist, not yes, me. It please is not go me. to therapy.
1: You know, I, I heard something this morning, which which applies in life and in work, that it's really difficult for you to accept love from others if you don't accept yourself. Mm. If you don't have self love for yourself. It is, right? And we know this about humans. It's not a, it's not a life changing thing, but we know that. But somehow we forget some of these human things once we go into work. Yeah. It's like we're now in a different world now that we're in work. And it's like, why? Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we put this veil and go, okay, now I'm in the work world. Now I was in the life world, but now I'm in this work world. And there are different roles here. And it's very strange when you think about it. When you Even you think about feedback. This is another chapter in the book, another status quo thing. Feedback with friends, family members, we deal with it on a day-to-day. We we have to, right? We're humans. To have conversations, to have relationships means you give and receive feedback all the time. Yeah. When it's in work, we make it this weird thing. It's so weird. We're like, oh, but it's feedback in work. And it's like, but why do we act that way? It's just a human to a human. It's a relationship just like any other relationship we have. And the one thing that's different is There's a mechanism of power, right? There's a mechanism of power. There's this mechanism of authority. There's a mechanism of they are literally attached to my livelihood. And so my feedback gets weird. But I think the best leaders, back to that point of like understanding each other and being vulnerable and being open and transparent, the best leaders create a space for feedback to happen more organically, naturally, and also in a way that doesn't seem so robotic and work-like that it just happens. And then those people feel more inclined to then give their leader feedback and the entire organization gets better. And so I think it's you know pushing back against the status quo or a lot of these different dynamics of all the things we touch in HR, but it's also just removing the veil of work has to be
0: 180 degrees different from life because it doesn't need to be. I was just thinking about that. There are so many things that I give my friends feedback on that I imagine. I have never liked when a manager gives feedback, mostly because I think some of their feedback is wrong, but that's just because I, I have taught people how to give feedback for so long. Right. That like when someone tries to give me feedback, I'm like, well, actually, it mm, doesn't really work. And know, can I give you some feedback on the feedback you're giving me? But right. you're like, you're so right. Like you give your you give your sister, your mom, your best friends, you're giving all of them feedback. Like, why in work? I think in work it becomes added pressure because we start to think to ourselves, like this person, this feedback now could potentially impact my livelihood yeah. because we've tied performance and feedback, um, right. compensation and feedback so closely together. So back going all the way back to your first point when you said we should remove them,
1: it's I do think that one's like,
0: tied together,
1: right? Exactly. All, there's a thread through all of these things,
0: which is why so much has to change. Well, I think like once you remove the the threat or the power over your earning potential, once you can find a way to divorce like the money and your livelihood Mm -hmm. from the work that you are doing and the performance you are maintaining, I think it just becomes like a safer environment for the employee and a better environment for us as HR as we're trying to change that narrative. Yeah. Like everyone always worries, like, does my manager like me? Because I'm, if I get a, I'll only get a raise if my manager likes me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that should not be our reality. That is like a A version of the old boys club, essentially, like getting good and you get the promotion, you get the reward and it's like, it shouldn't be like that.
1: When it's just like another version of like, well, I was on the golf course
0: that day and you weren't, so I get the promotion, right? Or I went went to college with that person. Like, like, no, that doesn't matter. I love that we connected point one and point two. That was like totally accidental, honestly. So uh, good job. Good job, Yeah, Good good job, Gus. What other, are there any other status quos you think we maintain at work that we've talked about compensation, performance, like transparency, anything else that you would add or that you touch on in the book that you just think would resonate with people listening today?
1: Oh gosh, professionalism is a made up illusion. Yeah, we all know that. If you think back to professionalism, if I ask you really split second, think of a professional in your head. It's a man with a suit. Right. A man with a suit. And who made that? Who made that in our head? Men with suits. More men in other suits. Right. And so, if we go into a room and it's full of all white men and black suits, do we think they're any smarter than if we go to a room full of like 20 people with diverse backgrounds, lived experiences, and dressing all sorts of ways with lots of amazing assets and and beautification on their selves? No. The suit does not automatically make you more intelligent. And so, like professionalism, it's not like, oh, I'm gonna put on my intelligence suit right now because I'm stupid when I'm not wearing I'm not, it. <laughs> why, like yeah. I better put it on. It's not like an Avenger suit that has all these things, right? It's literally a piece of clothing. And I love a suit. I love a blazer as fashion. But like professional in the in the way that we think about professionalism is a made up illusion. It yeah. is as silly as wearing red shoes on Tuesdays. If someone said, we're all going to wear red shoes on Tuesdays, we'd be like, that's
0: dumb. Um, I don't even own red shoes, right? so I'm out. <laughs> well, I'm right. professional. I, I think it like goes back to that power thing, too. It's like who, when you fall into the conception of what professional looks like, because we've all been exposed to it for so long, which is part of our unconscious bias, right? You have to think about, like, what have I been exposed to mm-hmm. consistently that's, like, led me to believe that a man in a suit is professional, or the fact that like a lot of our language is masculine language. Yep. That there's a whole good book about this called Word Slot. Highly recommend everyone yep. read. It's about how our language is masculine, and then it tends to lead us to believe that like a doctor is a man or a lawyer is a man yep. and we never think it could be a woman or anything. So I just think like when you think about that and you walk into our room and you see the suit, like I think a lot of times when you think professional, you're giving Power to somebody who doesn't necessarily deserve it, yeah. and you're taking it away and holding back others mm-hmm. who could potentially deserve it. Absolutely. Yeah. And professional is
1: about, for most, you know, essentially most knowledge workers, right? Professional is what is in your brain and what can you do and what can you figure out? Not what do you look like and what is it? Wearing. Right. Like that, what is in your brain, what you can do, what your experience has been, what, like, what you can figure out. That is it, period. Yeah. Everything else is just labels. Everything else is just window dressing. Everything else has nothing to do with whether the person can do the job. And I always find it interesting when people are like, well, what if I want them to meet with clients? And what if I this? And what if I that? And I'm like, that's a lot of excuses that you're making up in your head based off of actual nothingness. If, you know, that's the most common thing that I that I have seen over hundred companies is when people like, but they have to meet with clients. And what I found is that in talking with people and even in talking with clients of our clients, customers, they don't care. So it's again, it's a made up illusion of like what we think is professional. And I also think that generations coming in are going to change this. They already are starting to change this, right? Like definitely professional is just not going to be a thing that either means the same or even is a thing probably in 10, 20 years from now. It's just not. For that day, because we all like we want to show uniqueness. We want to show how we're different. You know, one of the people that I used to work with used to say that we are love people's unique abilities until they get in house, and then we say we love you. You're unique. You awesome. Come and come and come and up. Be with us. You know, come and work with us. And then it's like first and now conform. <laughs> and it very much is that, if you think about it, right? It's like, we love how you, you're you bringing this and you're bringing that and, oh, I love that. And then it's like, no, no, this is how we do things. And it's very weird when you think about it. <laughs> it's kind of cold, like, when you think about it. You're like, wait, what? You want me to wear the same thing, act the same way, do the same things that everyone else does? It's very cult-like in, in certain ways. Um, and it, it stifles works.
0: innovation.
1: Stifles like innovation. innovation.
0: Yeah. Why stifle the thing that like makes people beautiful and unique? Great. I don't, I don't know. So we've touched on, let's see, we've covered the status quo around compensation, the status quo around transparency, and the status quo around professionalism. Because I do think all three of those are being actively challenged in a lot of environments. Yeah. Um, even today, I did the 24-hour stream with um, a bunch of HR people where we were basically building an open-sourced employee handbook like on the live stream for 24 hours it's great that we're raising money for a charity but i think that's like just so interesting because every single hr person who got on the call was like we should all default to transparency and i i like think about all of us going back to our individual companies where we're constantly battling the people who don't want transparency Mm -hmm. so i think there's a lot of challenging of the status quo going on at work because you and i both know like The way we have worked is not working for everyone anymore.
1: No. And there's a reason that there are more people in therapy, more people needing pharmaceutical help, more mental health disorders now, more disengagement. Do we all just think that's because of chance? It's because of how we've worked. And so there's so many things that have to change. I mean, like even today, you and I are like in... No, I'm in like a sweatsuit. I'm in a tie-dye sweatsuit, right? Like we're still professional. I didn't lose my professionalism by not having a suit on. And it's it's if you think about it, the revolution of work just instead of making it really easy for one subset of a demographic to do really well, the revolution of work is about everyone being able to do well. And by mean do well, I mean do well and be well. And that is something that we don't necessarily combine at work is being well. We all are looking at how do we do well. But the kind of hidden secret is when we are well, we do better. Yeah. And so when everyone's just focusing on doing the doing well and forgetting about the being well, they're really not getting the holistic approach of what someone can bring if they want to bring it.
0: Ooh, that's such like a great note to end on. That was so beautiful. I have nothing else to add. That was like <laughs> poetry. That was like watching poetry in real time. I was like, oh my God, is she writing me a poem? Like what is happening right now? I, no I love that. My fault would be like four, four words. <laughs> yeah. This is my haiku. Bye. That right. Right it, for
1: me. <laughs> right. it would be not very long.
0: No, but I loved that. Like do well, but be- being well is like such a big part of that. And I'm like personally, like some days I get like really down about, how we haven't made enough change like we this is Mar- like martin luther king that was earlier oh. this week and i just like think about how much change we i want to make in the world yeah. of work and how much resistance he was met with when he was trying to make change and how much we've made some progress since his assassination and not enough in so many ways and so I'm hopeful that whoever's listening today thinks through, like, what do I want to change about work? What are status quos I am going to challenge every day? Because I think HR has an insane amount of power to yeah. actually make that change happen. And we have been told for so long like we've that we don't, but I think we do. And I think a lot of employees are starting to believe in us as HR teams, where yeah. they're starting to say, like, I know my HR team wants to do the right thing, like, And I see how they've been handling the bad news, the layoffs, and all the work that they do. And I think we have been just raising awareness to the struggles we're facing as well as HR professionals. So, And I would say one last thing for that is CEOs, COOs,
1: if you are listening, your easiest, biggest cheerleaders for the future and actually doing stuff that's going to make you money and, and have people want to work with you is let your people leaders lead the charge. Let them show you and showcase how strategic they can be because the way you're doing it now is probably not going to do you well in five years, and it's really not going to do you well in 10 years. So if you're smart, get behind your HR leader, your people leader, your talent leader, listen to them and have them guide you because nine times out of 10, those leaders are going to know exactly what you need to do.
0: I love that. That's so good. Okay. Anyone listening today, how do they get in touch with you? How do they find you? Primus oh my gosh, book, LinkedIn. All find me, Anessa
1: Fike on LinkedIn. Um, I like list. to post random stuff that comes into my brain all the time <laughs> for the last 10 years. Um, <laughs> literally, that's what I post. It's like when it's happening to me, when I saw something, when I'm mad at something, it's all going to go on LinkedIn. And the book comes out February 20th. So pre-order the book. Grab it when you see it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the other places. I'm going to be doing some book signing tour as well in big cities, DC, New York, Chicago, Miami, LA, San Francisco. So if you want to grab a time with me to sign your book
0: at any spot, you can follow that on LinkedIn as well because we'll have tickets for those. I can't wait. It's my birthday present. Y'all, she published a whole book the day after my birthday as a birthday present to me. Okay, no It is going to be amazing. I can't wait for everyone to have it in their hands. Thank you yes. so, so much for joining me today. As always, Thank I you. love our conversation. And I'm going to talk to you in like an hour probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with all the latest HR resources by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you love I hate it here, tell an HR friend. I'll see you next time.